0: A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. My point is this, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, even though they are the owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that, me, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however... That you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, o Lord. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Let's
2: pray. God of grace and truth, we ask now that you would send your spirit among us to give light to our eyes and our minds and our hearts, that we would gaze upon the glory of Christ and be changed more and more into his likeness by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. The fullness of time had not yet fully come this morning when my kids woke up. Uh, It was too early, Um, and about five o'clock this morning I heard my children calling from their bedroom for, for me and for my wife. They know they're not allowed to come out of their room because they have this clock that's called a ready-to-wake clock that glows green when it is time to wake up. And in our house, the fullness of time is called 7 a.m. We weren't there yet. So I went in at five-something or other and uh, climbed in the bottom bunk bed with my son, Will, to wait and to help them wait for this appointed time that was yet to come. Uh, And during that time, I fell asleep and they didn't. But then that moment came, and it glowed green. And all of a sudden, I hear from the top bunk my daughter going, Daddy, Daddy, the green light's glowing. It's time. It's time. Get up. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to. I, I don't want the fullness of time. I want what was happening before. And then I realized in this moment of half-awakeness, I'm like, That's my whole sermon in a nutshell. That's the whole thing right there. Actually, it's this moment uh, that Paul is referring to as he's talking to the Galatians about the fullness of time that has come and this green light that has gone on in the world in the coming of the Spirit and God's people uh, who are really resistant to the new thing that has dawned. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to rise. They don't want to take up life in the new way. And so we're continuing our series on Galatians. This morning we've been doing uh, this book all fall. And what we've seen uh, in the weeks leading up to today um, is what we've kind of seen week in and week out. Is that uh, Paul is very concerned with the churches in Galatia because they're wrestling with what it means to have been made one in Christ. There are people from Jewish backgrounds. There are people from non-Jewish backgrounds. They have very, very different ways of doing life. And it's, there's friction as they begin to do life together as one family. <clears throat> and what's happened is that you get the people from Jewish backgrounds who are doing life one way. And you get people from non-Jewish backgrounds who are excluded from that. And you end up with kind of like first class and second class citizens in the church. But what Paul is so eager to show the churches in Galatia is that there are no second class citizens in the church. Because what God has done in Christ is that he has sent forth this promised one in whom God has torn down all those dividing walls right he's he's erased all those lines that used to be these these binaries that would perpetuate the subjugation of certain peoples under other peoples and God has taken those away in Christ and he's given the spirit to people of all different backgrounds and practices without regard for what the Jewish law said would make someone a worthy recipient of god's spirit and so we've been tracking through that's kind of a complicated and 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 foreign thing as we think about our own world that's not that's not the kind of stuff we generally think about day in day out but we get to this part in paul's letter where in chapters three and four paul is developing this pretty technical theological argument mostly about abraham And how Jesus relates to Abraham and how the spirit relates to the promise God made to Abraham. And all that he's doing in chapters 3 and 4 is beginning to set the stage for what he wants to say. In chapters 5 and 6 where he's really going to let it rip about life in the spirit and what this looks like. What it means for them to take up this kind of life together in light of what God has done. And so we've seen this promise to Abraham is the deep current that runs throughout the story. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham that God had foretold long ago would be the one who would come and do this new thing. And here, as we get to this text, we see that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son and his Spirit to do something radically new. And the way Paul talks about it in this section is he uses language of the Exodus, Slavery language, and he's saying that what God has done <clears throat> in Christ and in the Spirit is He's led His people out of an old enslavement and into a new sonship in the Spirit. This movement from slavery to sonship in the Spirit—that's what Paul's getting after in this in this text. And it's this—he talks about it as like the coming of age of God's people, uh, where he talks about you know heirs who are or who are minors not yet of age you know they're they're really not that different from slaves in the household right they may they may be the rightful owners of all the stuff but they haven't come of age and so they're kept under a guardian they're kept under somebody else's custody who's actually the steward of all the stuff that they rightfully own and so paul he's talking about the people of god in this moment before the coming of christ from moses to the messiah being like heirs who hadn't yet come of age which is sort of its own version of slavery. But now what God has done in Christ and in the Spirit is not just some normal coming-of-age process whereby the normal patterns of things, God's people have finally like gotten old enough or matured enough to where they're now full-fledged. But actually God has intervened to do something surprising, something different altogether, by which these heirs, who were like slaves... And those who were not heirs outside the family, both together alike, need to be moved out of slavery and into sonship. Both alike need to be adopted into the family of God. And what Paul is saying is that's the game changer that's happened in Christ and in the Spirit. That's the game changer that's happened in the history of the world. And it's the game changer that's happened in your own life as you have heard and believed the good news as you have been baptized, as you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit through faith. What God has done in the world, God has done to you, bringing you out of slavery and into sonship through his Spirit. And so the call of faith and the call of baptism and the call of the Spirit is to live today not according to an enslavement that no longer fits you, and not according to an estrangement from God, that's no longer real about you, but to live today according to the incredibly beautiful and surprising new reality that God has created in which God has delivered you from all the things that ensnare you, in which God has adopted you as his child and has empowered you in his spirit to live today in a way that looks more like that future he has promised than the past which is passing away. You've been liberated, you've been adopted, so don't return to a life of enslavement all over again. The green light has gone on. Don't pretend that it hasn't. Don't live today as if your life story is one of enslavement or estrangement. And before we get into just a couple of things, I want us to think about what does it look like in our own lives when we actually do live out of these narratives? When we understand our own life stories through a grid of estrangement from God and others, enslavement, something like this, enslavement stories go like this: I'm stuck. Right, I've traveled too far down the path of my own bad choices, or I've I've made cho- harmful choices, or other people have made those toward me, and there's no real hope that things could be different. The story of my life is one in which I'm trapped. And I can't get out. Trapped in a relationship, I'm trapped in my addiction, trapped in my body, trapped in my mind or in my secret or in my shame or in the same old meaningless routine that just keeps going and going and going. The hamster wheel of life. What does it look like when we live out of a narrative of estrangement? Estrangement stories go something like this. The story of my life is fundamentally one of abandonment. The story of my life is fundamentally a story of missing out, of being excluded. I'm on the outside looking in, and everyone else's life seems to just happen to them. Mine just seems to pass me by. No one hears me, no one sees me, no one appreciates me, no one reciprocates the friendship I extend. I'm alone, I don't belong. And to one degree or another, every single one of us lives portions of our life out of one of those narratives or both of those narratives. The narrative of (coughs) slavery or estrangement. Why? Why do we do that? Because we really do experience those things, right? I mean, if we're honest about life in the world, people do abandon us. We do get left out. We do pull away from relationship and we do hurt one another and hide from one another and get caught in the confusing and often overwhelming tangled mess that is a result of the things that we've done or that have happened to us. And so our experiences of enslavement and estrangement are real, and after a while, it becomes increasingly difficult to believe that these are not, in fact, the most true things about who we are. But the beautiful thing is that the story that the Apostle Paul is leading us to appreciate and pull toward our own lives is one that acknowledges the reality of those things, yet does not leave us sitting with them as if there's nowhere else to go. It's not a story that turns a blind eye to the hard things of our lives, but it's a story that can look upon those things with honesty and yet move through them and beyond them in hope because of what God has done in Christ, because of what God has done in the Spirit. It's an exodus journey this life of faith, Paul wants us to see. And the first thing that he wants us to kind of appreciate, I think, as we, as we figure out how do we read this toward our own lives and figure out what to do with what the apostle is saying in this section, I think the first thing we see is that the life of faith is a spirit-led exodus journey out of our former enslavement and into the freedom that God has won for us in Christ. Out of enslavement, into freedom, because God has delivered you slavery. The Apostle Paul here, he kind of describes a universal slavery that affects all human beings. He's, he speaks about how the Jewish Christians are experiencing one kind of enslavement because they're making the Old Testament law ultimate in their life together and they're remaining like the underage heirs who have come of age but are living as if they hadn't. But he's also talking about a reality in which the non-Jewish Christians, the Gentiles, they, they've also been under a kind of slavery. They're, they've been enslaved to uh, what he, you know these <coughs> the elemental spirits of the world, right? Both the, both the Jew and Gentile alike, he uses this phrase. Because they've been outsiders from the family. They haven't belonged. They haven't been heirs. They've been enslaved in their own idolatry, their own pagan religion. And he, he lumps all of this together under this one heading of elemental spirits of the world. Which is a really debated term as you kind of get into all the literature around this passage. Like what is he talking about? Is this a spiritual reality where he's sort of like the, the powers and principalities of the air as he talks about other, other places? Or is this a physical reality like you know the earth and the water and the wind and, and air? Either way... It doesn't really matter so much for us how we, how we understand the, the nuance of that term because Paul's point is that in Christ and in the Spirit, God has liberated us from both the spiritual and the physical things that ensnare us. This present evil age, this world that is passing away, God has delivered it, has delivered us from that in this new creation work of Christ and the Spirit. And so this slavery this enslavement to old things is no longer true of those who've received the gift of Christ and the Spirit. Because God in the fullness of time sent forth his son to be born of a woman uniting himself to all human beings and to be born under the law uniting himself in a special way to this family of Abraham, the Jewish people, to redeem us. To redeem us from slavery. This is really rich Exodus language. And if you remember the Exodus story from the Old Testament, it's one in which the people, after having been delivered from slavery, kept talking about what? We don't like the food. We want to go back. We were slaves, but at least we had onions. Right? And it's the story of, of Israel being delivered and God had rescued them, but like their whole struggle all the way through was, we, but we'd kind of rather go back. We'd kind of rather go back. And what Paul is saying is like, when you guys are ordering your life this way, in this fractured, fragmented way, as if what God has done in Christ and in the Spirit hadn't happened, you're just like the Israelites of old who want to go back to slavery even though they've been set free. Don't do that, he says. When you do that, when you live that way, it's like like all we've been doing among you has been wasted. It's like your freedom in Christ has just been wasted when you want to go back so he warns the galatians that their attraction to this old way of doing life together is just like a return to slavery and a waste of the grace of god and as we think about how we like read this toward our own moment and our own situation i think the point we can't get stuck in the point that this is all just about the jewish non-jewish thing and what we do with the Old Testament law in our life together. I mean, that's certainly what Paul is talking about, but what applies to us today even more broadly and more, more relevantly in our own moment, it's that this is about anything, anything at all that we make more ultimate than Christ in terms of what it is that we organize our life together around. And it's about any dynamic other than the Spirit of God that courses through our veins in our life together as the body of Christ if there's any other life force that's driving us to do life in any kind of way, that's slavery, Paul says. And if there's any other ultimate center around which we've gathered other than Christ himself, we're submitting ourselves again to slavery. We're entrusting ourselves to something else for our future and our identity for anything at all. Tim Keller is a famous pastor who's famously said, money, sex, and power are like the great idols of our age, right? These are the things that <coughs> that function for us in our moment the way a lot of the pagan gods functioned in older moments of human history. You know, these, they're the things that we look to and trust for our well-being. They're the things we put our hope in for our future or for our security or for our comfort or for our sense of satisfaction. But, you know, naming that triad, money, sex, and power, that, that doesn't just go back to tim keller that's like a really old way of thinking about the kinds of things that enslave us it goes all the way back to the monks of old who would take vows of poverty and chastity and obedience money sex power in order to practice in a really concrete way a life of freedom rather than enslavement to the elemental spirits of the world And the point of mentioning that is not that we're called to be monks or anything like that, but the point is that we're we're all called to live according to the Spirit who's liberated us from our enslavement to these old ways. And the monks are actually a pretty, pretty good example of what it looks like to take that so seriously that your life becomes this practice of cultivating habits of freedom rather than enslavement. How can we do that together? How can we practice turning away from all the ways that we trust money, all the ways that we trust sex, and all the ways that we trust power for our well-being? How can we turn away from those things and recognize those as slavery when we put ourselves under their rule? You see, the irony, this is the irony of idolatry, is that in the end, it turns out that our idols don't serve us the way we thought they would. We end up serving them. We employ them as our servants, and then they sneakily take over as the master. And that's the thing that happens when we begin to, put, try, to try to push money uh, and put our lives toward that and lean into that and put our trust in money to, to give us the good life. What happens? We never have enough of it. We serve it, we seek it, we give our whole life to going and chasing after that thing, thinking that it serves us. And when you look back over the story of our life, it it just turns out we've been serving it all along. What's your Egypt? We're talking about Exodus the story of God delivering his people out of Egypt, bringing them into the land of promise. What's your Egypt? Where are you stuck? Where do you feel trapped? Or where might you be trapped where you don't feel trapped, but the people in your life think that's where you're trapped? This is where the importance of spiritual friendship is so, so, so relevant to us. We need people in our lives who help us look upon our lives and see it rightly. Because there are times when we may actually be stuck, even when we don't feel it. I imagine a number of you have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, but there's this scene where Red who's the character played by Morgan Freeman, who's a longtime prisoner, is explaining to to Tim Robbins' character, Andy Dufresne, who's a relatively new inmate, he's explaining to him the psychology of prison. Uh, And Red says this, he goes, you know, these walls are funny. First you hate them, and then you get used to them, and enough time passes, you actually get to depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life, That's exactly what they take, the part that counts, anyway. And one of the great themes of the movie is the difference between Andy, who never loses his sense of belonging to the world outside of the prison, and all the other inmates who become institutionalized and can't ever leave. And what Paul is saying here is that what God has done in Christ and in the Spirit is he has delivered us from the prison of our old ways. He's delivered us from our stuckness and all those other things that threaten to choke out life. And so what it looks like to take up life of faith in Christ and in the Spirit is to never become institutionalized in the ways of the world. To never get used to those walls, but instead to continue pressing forward on this exodus journey toward a new land, a land of freedom, a land of life, The land of promise. How have we become institutionalized in our former ways that don't fit God's intention for the world? That's probably a helpful diagnostic question for us as we as we reflect on our own lives. How is it that we continue to persist out of a narrative of enslavement? Paul says, You've been delivered. Live accordingly. The second thing he says is not only that you've been liberated you've been adopted you've been adopted and he shows us that the life of faith is a spirit-driven participation in the family of god as children to god and as siblings to one another sonship and i say sonship not to the exclusion of our fellow daughters in the room but because I'm referring, and Paul is referring, to Jesus' own sonship that we share in by virtue of the Spirit joining us to him. Our identity as daughters and as sons is derivative of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And he shares that with us. And in him, we, daughters and sons, become sons. Just like Jesus, he shares that with us. And it's by virtue of our union and communion with him that we began to experience this reality of God being our father and the spirit crying out from within us, Abba, Father. Paul says you're no longer slaves but heirs. You are children to a father, that's God. You are a full-fledged member of the family. You are known by God and you know him. This is what God has done in Christ and in the Spirit. This is the beautiful new reality to which we are called in Christ. This is the gift. But here's the thing. As beautiful as that is, as beautiful as that is, I am a child of God. You are a child of God. The Spirit of the Father dwells in us and cries out from within us, Abba, Father. The paradox is, that our sonship and daughterhood in Christ looks like Jesus' sonship to God. And can you remember in the Gospels when it is that we hear Jesus himself cry out, Abba, Father. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's experiencing the anguish of pain in a broken world because his call as Son of God is the call to go the way of the cross, which becomes the path of life for the world. And so our experience, as we come out of slavery and into sonship in Christ, is not one that is always glorious and comfy and cozy and pain-free, but it's actually one that we must see is stamped by the shape of the cross. Because this is the kind of sonship we share with the Son of God. And so as we live in a world where we're tempted to think all the time, right, if, if I am God's beloved child, why does life hurt so much? If I'm God's beloved child, why doesn't God give me more yeses than nos to the prayers that I give to him? And there aren't, like, easy answers to these questions. There are no pat answers that we can just plug in and say, you know what, don't worry about it, you know. But the beautiful perplexing, mysterious answer is that you are a child of God the way Jesus is a child of God. And your life is shaped by the contours of his. And his story becomes your story and his story is the cross and the empty tomb. And so the story of Christ, it's not only altered the course of the story of the world, but it also begins to transform the story of your own life as you get caught up by the wind of the Spirit who joins you to Jesus, who cries out to the Father from within you, and who anchors your life and your destiny in the future God has promised, which is a glorious one in which life and health and peace and justice last forever. And love wins the day. And shame is cast out, and the darkness is kicked to the curb, and life thrives. And that future is the one that we're called to bear witness to together as we do life in the Spirit. That future is the one we're called to embody as well as we can, which is better than we think because we have the Spirit as we gaze together upon Jesus and strive toward him in the power of the spirit of new creation who lives in us and who cries out to our Father from within us. And that is always going to look like embracing the way of Christ. And Paul says, look, if that's not what we're doing, if that's not how we're ordering our life, then, then the grace of God and the, and the work of the apostles has been wasted on us. It's been wasted. But of course, the very reason he's writing to the Galatians is not because he's being pessimistic. <laughs> it's because he has great hope that it's not all been a waste. He has great hope that they're going to hear and receive again the gift of Christ. That with ears of faith and the hearing of faith, they're going to receive again the gift of the Spirit. And they're going to lean into the Spirit for their life together. And they're, gonna, they're going to begin to take steps in a different path. Following Christ by the Spirit. Annie Dillard reminds us that what we do with today is what we do with our lives. What we do with today is what we do with our lives. So what does it look like for us today to recognize the ways that we live into these stories of enslavement and estrangement that are just not true and that choke out life? And what does it look like for us today to receive again afresh the gift of Christ and the Spirit, to receive the gift of deliverance, to receive the gift of our adoption, and then to begin to live today anew as God's children. Set free in the Spirit to be peace passers in the places where we work and where we live And socialized to be forgiveness givers and forgiveness seekers, to be neighbor lovers and prayer warriors and self-sacrificers and wounded healers and fellow travelers with our friends on this exodus journey out of these old ways of enslavement and estrangement, with Jesus and with Jesus's friends, in the unity of the Spirit, in the peace of Christ. And in the hope of new creation, that is what God has promised. What we do with today is what we do with our lives. These very things are the reason that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to unite himself to us in our experiences of enslavement and estrangement, to unite himself to us in our experiences of death so that with him we may be united to him as he rises that we may share in his risen and everlasting life through the spirit who lives in us and who cries out just as Jesus did Abba Father the spirit of the age to come who's here now in us Jesus came so that finally finally the green light would switch on that the new day would dawn and that we would hear the voice of our Father say to us, my child, rise and live today like Jesus in the Spirit for your own sake and for the sake of the world that the grace of God may not be wasted on you but may be the gift of God to the world in you and through you unto everlasting glory that is yours because you are heirs and children of God in Christ and in the Spirit. That is why God sent his Son in the fullness of time. May God give us grace to receive the gift afresh today. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, you you are generous and kind and we thank you for the abundant grace that you've lavished upon us in your Son. We thank you for the power of heaven that you have unleashed in our lives through your Spirit. And we ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we underestimate what you can and will do in and through us. And we ask that you would bring us to life in Christ once again today and send us out into your world to be bearers of your love, living in your peace as children who are known and loved by you. Abba, Father. We pray through the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.